Good morning. So good to be together this morning. If you have your Bibles with you and you're not already there from our Scripture reading, I'd love for you to turn with me to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3, and this morning as we study together, we're going to be looking at verses 14 through 22. If you have your Bibles and you'd like to follow along, Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22. One time there was a man who went to visit his 80-year-old uncle who lived alone on a secluded farm. He hadn't seen his uncle in a while, so they planned to spend the entire day together. The nephew was even planning to spend the night. The uncle was so excited that his nephew came to visit him, he wanted to repay him in some kind of way. So he said, instead of going out to eat tonight for dinner, let me make you something. Let me cook you something. So the nephew agreed to that. A few hours passed by and they sat down at the dinner table and the the meal looked delicious. They had a spread of food all the way across the table. The one thing that the man noticed, though, is that his plate was a little bit dirty. It had some stains on it. It had little pieces of dry food all all around the outside. His uncle's plate was the same way. So he asked his uncle, hey, do you want me to go grab a couple more plates? These look a little bit dirty. Do you want me to go grab some more? He said, no, you don't need to grab any more. The rest of them look like this too. This is as clean as cold water can get them. So the man thought that was a little bit of an odd response, but they continued. They bowed their heads. They blessed the food. They were just about to dig in whenever the uncle's dog started barking at the front door. So the uncle said, I'm, I'm sorry, he, he does that every time we sit down at the table. Give me just a minute, I need to take cold water outside for a walk. Put two and two together, right? Whenever the nephew put two and two together, whenever this image popped up in his mind, he wasn't so hungry anymore. And that absolutely killed his appetite. When he thought about the dog that was being taken outside, when he thought about cold water licking his plate and then him eating off the plate, it killed his appetite. Over the last few weeks, we've been looking at a series of lessons about having a passion for God. We've talked about why we should be passionate for God. We've talked about what our passion for God should look like. Our passion for God, according to what we talked about over the last couple of weeks, should be built on a knowledge of God. It should be built on a knowledge of God's Word, and it should be expressed through our actions. Beginning this morning, over the next three Sunday mornings, I want us to think about what we might call passion killers. As Christians, we're supposed to be passionate for God. We're supposed to be excited about spiritual things. We're supposed to be on fire for Jesus. But if we're not careful, there are some things that Satan will try to use in the world to extinguish the fire in our hearts for our Lord. Just like the man's appetite was killed by the thought of cold water cleaning his plate. There are some things out in the world that want to kill our passion for God. 
There are some things in the world that want to kill our excitement and our enthusiasm for the Lord. What I want us to do over the next three weeks is to expose some of those things and to talk about how we should respond to them. The first passion killer that we're going to talk about together this morning is complacency from Revelation chapter 3. You might agree with this. Then again, you might not agree with this. But I think one thing we can see in the Lord's church as a whole, not looking at any congregation specifically, but when we look at the Lord's church as a whole, one thing that we see is complacency. There are some Christians who have become indifferent in their faith. The way we're going to talk about it in Revelation chapter 3 is that they have become lukewarm. When it comes to spiritual things, these Christians live as if it doesn't really matter one way or the other. They live and make decisions as if they don't really care whenever it comes to the church, whenever it comes to the Bible, whenever it comes to Jesus. We're talking about Christians who haven't completely forsaken the Lord. They haven't completely left Jesus. They haven't completely turned their backs on Jesus. But they're also not excited about Him either. They're not on fire for Him. They're not completely consumed by His power, His grace, and His love. They're stuck somewhere in the middle. We might say that they're stuck in the mud. What I want us to get this morning, complacency will kill our passion for God every single time we allow it to rear its ugly head. In a lesson like this one, before we get into the text, perhaps we need to remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verses 3 through 5. It's a passage that I've been thinking about a lot. Jesus says, before we reach out and try to remove the speck in our brother's eye, we need to first remove the log that's coming out of our own eyes. We think about complacency, as we think about indifference, as we think about what Jesus has to say in Revelation, the third chapter, this lesson is not about the person across the auditorium from you. This lesson is not about an individual who might be sitting in another assembly of the Lord's church. This lesson is not about the person sitting next to you. This lesson is about you, and it's about me. Before we look towards anyone else, we need to take a look at ourselves. Whenever we point our finger at other people, we need to recognize that we have three fingers pointing back at us. Have I grown to be complacent? Have I grown to be indifferent? Am I living a life right now where based on my decisions, spiritual things just don't really matter to me? Am I stuck somewhere in the middle? I think what Jesus says in Revelation chapter 3 is helpful as we think about that question, as you evaluate you, as I evaluate me, as you think about your life and I Think about my life. Revelation 3 verses 14 through 22 is a reminder that I think we all need sometimes. As we turn our attention to the book of Revelation, recall that according to chapter 1, this letter was written by the Apostle John. It was written to the seven churches in Asia, modern day Turkey. John is writing to them, number one, by the command of Jesus. But he's writing to them with the purpose of demonstrating the victory that Jesus will one day have. He's writing to Christians who are going through great difficulty. 
Christians who are going through great persecution from the hands of the Romans, and he wants them to understand that one day Jesus will be victorious. It might not look like it now, but one day Jesus will be victorious over the kingdoms of this world. If you look specifically at Revelation chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 3, notice that perhaps in your copy of God's Word, the words are in red. This is Jesus personally addressing each one of the seven churches in Asia individually. And then we zero in on the text that was just read for us a few minutes ago. Revelation 3, 14-22, Jesus talks to the church at Laodicea. As we notice what He has to say to the church at Laodicea, let's think about the church at Seven Oaks. I'm going to be thinking about me. And I invite you to think about you. Have we grown to be complacent? Are we allowing complacency to kill our passion for the Lord? As Jesus addresses the church at Laodicea, He begins by talking to them about their problem. The very first thing that He says to them in verse 15 is what He says to a majority of the churches. Throughout Revelation 2 and 3, He says, I know your works. Think about hearing that message. That can either be a message of good news, or it can be a message of bad news. That can be a message that brings great joy. Yes, Jesus knows my works. He knows what I'm doing for Him. He knows what I'm investing in service to Him. It can also be a message that brings great sorrow. Oh no. Jesus knows my works. He looks at the church at Laodicea and says, I know what you're doing and I know what you're not doing. I know what you're doing well and I know what you're doing poorly. He says, I know what you're really heavily emphasizing and I know what you're neglecting. I know what you're leaving out. True or false? Just like Jesus knew the works of the Laodiceans, He knows the works of us here at Seven Oaks. True or false? Jesus knows my works. True or false? Jesus knows your works. It's true, isn't it? Jesus knows what we're doing well and He knows what we're doing poorly. He knows what we're doing and He knows what we're not doing. Jesus knows what we're emphasizing and He knows what we're neglecting. Jesus is not ignorant when it comes to the lives that we live. Jesus is not ignorant when it comes to the decisions that we make. Based on what you see the church doing, and on a personal level, based on what you see yourself doing, is that a message of good news or bad news? Jesus knows your works. Is that a message that brings joy and confidence and comfort? Or is it a message that brings sorrow? Is it a message that makes you uncomfortable? Jesus looks at the church at Laodicea. He says, I know your works, and this is the problem that I have with you. In verses 15 and 16, the Christians in the church at Laodicea were lukewarm. I mean, look again at what Jesus says. He says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Here we're talking about a congregation of the Lord's people. They weren't spiritually cold, but they also weren't spiritually hot. They hadn't completely turned their backs on Jesus. They hadn't completely forsaken the Lord. They hadn't completely left Jesus, but they also weren't excited about Him. They weren't passionate about Him. They weren't on fire for Jesus. They were not completely and entirely consumed by Jesus. 
He says you're neither cold nor hot. You fall somewhere in the middle. What we'll see in verse 16 is that they were lukewarm. They were complacent. They were indifferent. They were just going through the motions. They were living collectively and individually as if spiritual things didn't really matter. As if they didn't really care about spiritual things. Here's where you are. You're neither cold nor hot. But then Jesus says, here's what I want for you. You're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. He looks at the Laodiceans and he says, I would rather you be at one of the two extremes than be stuck somewhere in the middle. Of course, Jesus would rather His people be spiritually hot. Of course, Jesus wants His people to be on fire for Him. To be boiling over for Him. What's interesting to me is that Jesus would rather His disciples be spiritually cold than be spiritually lukewarm. Isn't that interesting? Jesus says, I would rather you turn your back on me. I would rather you walk in the other direction than approach me in complacency and indifference. We're not going to fully develop this idea, but take this home and think about this throughout the week. Lukewarm Christians can do more damage to the church than those who aren't Christians at all. Christians who are indifferent, Christians who who are complacent, can do more damage to the church of our Lord than those who are enemies of it. You're neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either cold or hot. But verse 16, because you are lukewarm, because you're complacent, because you're stuck in the middle and neither hot nor cold, Jesus says, I will spit, I will vomit you out of my mouth. What good is lukewarm water? We mentioned this a few weeks ago. In the city of Hierapolis, there were hot springs. They built aqueducts westward from Hierapolis to Laodicea, carrying the water from the hot springs. The problem is, by the time the water got from Hierapolis to Laodicea, it was lukewarm. What good is lukewarm water? If you're outside on a hot day and you're hot and sweaty, boy, I just love a glass of lukewarm water. What about you? Now, I think... I'd rather have cold water. If you're going to take a shower in the first century world, if you're going to take a bath, if you're going to bathe yourself, if you're going to wash dishes, what kind of water are you going to use? Not lukewarm water, not cold water. Hot water. What good is lukewarm water? Jesus uses that to say, what good is a lukewarm Christian? Because you're lukewarm, because you're neither hot or cold, Jesus says, I'm going to vomit you. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Jesus completely rejects those who approach Him in complacency. Jesus rejects those who approach Him in indifference. I know your works, and this is the issue. He says you're lukewarm. And then we see another problem in 17. He talks about how the church at Laodicea had grown to be content. Look at the attitude that they have in 17. For you say, I am rich. I've prospered. And we don't need anything. The city of Laodicea was a rich city. It was a city that was economically very strong. It had a lot of industries going on. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in verse 18. This attitude that they have. Oh, we're, we're rich. We've prospered. We don't need 
anything. They had become completely content with where they were spiritually. And because they had become content, that was going to kill any kind of growth that they could have in the future. He says, you think that you're content? You think you have everything? You think you're rich? You think you've prospered? Jesus shows the reality of it in verse 17. He says, what you don't realize is that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. The Laodiceans thought they had everything that they needed. They were completely content with where they were. Jesus shows them the reality. They actually stood in need of everything. It's not that they had everything. It's that they needed everything. And it all goes back to this idea of complacency. Indifference. They were content with where they were. That was the problem in the church at Laodicea. Jesus knows their works, and that's the issue that He had with them. You're complacent. You're indifferent. You're content with where you are. You're stuck in the mud. You're not hot or cold. You're stuck somewhere in the middle. I can't help but think, do you think that it's possible that their problem could be our problem? Do you think that it's possible that we might share in this same issue, that Jesus might take this same issue with us that He takes up with the Laodiceans? Think about some areas where this is tempting. Think about some areas where maybe the church is content with complacency. Let's start by talking about worship. What we're doing right now. How easy is it for worship to become dull and to become unexciting because we're just going through the motions? Our hearts aren't in it. We're not fully invested in it. Words of praise come from our lips. We bow our heads when we pray. We eat of the bread. We drink the cup. We open up our Bibles and and study along together. But our hearts aren't in it. Our spirits aren't involved. We're outwardly going through the motions, but it's not making a difference who we are on the inside. Worship is not a place where we come to be entertained. Worship is not a place where we come to consume or receive. Worship is a place where we come to give. Why are we here this morning? We're here to give praise to God. Why? Because He's worthy. And we're here to encourage, to uplift one another. When we lose sight of that, it's really easy for worship to become complacent. It's really easy for worship to become something that it's not meant to be. Just going through the motions instead of authentically changing us and transforming us, encouraging us for the week that is ahead. What about attendance? This is something that every single congregation of the Lord's church struggles with. If you want to see the problem, take a look in the bulletin. Have we grown to be content with having a really big number on Sunday morning, but then only having a fraction of that on Sunday night and Wednesday night? Are we satisfied with that? Is it something that we just expect? Well, that's just the way that it is. 
Sunday evening worship, Wednesday night Bible class are two things that can benefit us so much spiritually. And I understand sometimes there are circumstances that stop us from being here. And, and I'm not even saying that you have to be here. What I am saying is that we should want to be here. Because of what's going on here, because of who's here, because of the God that we're worshiping, the God who is present, we should want to be here more than anywhere else in the world. We make time to do the things we want to do throughout the week. We make time for things that we enjoy. As we think about complacency, maybe a question we need to ask is why aren't we making time for, for Sunday evening worship? Why aren't we making time for Wednesday night Bible study or even Sunday morning Bible study? That should be what we want more than anything else. What about visitors? Whenever visitors are present with us, have we grown to be complacent? Are we willing to step outside of our comfort zone? Are we willing to leave the seat we always sit in or the people that we always sit around, the people that we're most comfortable with in order to make visitors feel welcome? in order to make them feel like they belong? Do we even recognize when visitors are present? Because that's where it starts, isn't it? We have to realize that visitors are here in order to make them feel welcome. What about being involved? I, I don't know what your experience is when it comes to this point, but my experience is that you can be as involved in the church as you want to be. Whenever it comes to VBS, youth events, different decisions that the church makes, whenever it comes to ministries that the church is involved in, whenever it comes to our corporate worship assemblies, you can be as involved in those things as you want to be. Do we want to be? Are we active? Are we involved? Instead of deflecting responsibility and opportunities on other people, instead of saying things like, well, they could do it a lot better than me, what would it look like if I stepped up? What would it look like if we stepped up together and said, I can do that. I'll take that responsibility. I will take that opportunity. We want you to be plugged in here. We need you to be involved in this congregation of the Lord's people. What about on the outside? What about outreach? Do we realize that there are people right outside those doors who are walking straight towards an eternity separated from God. Can we state it plainly? There are people outside those doors who are walking straight towards an eternity in hell. What are we doing about that? How are we trying to reach them with the Gospel? How can we be content? How can we be complacent and indifferent when there are people who are living without the Lord? And there are people, people who we know, people who we're around every day, we're going to spend an eternity separated from Him. How can we look at that and be lukewarm? What about prayer and Bible study? Two things we talk about a lot. These are two things that we heavily emphasize. And I don't think anyone in here would say that prayer and Bible study are bad things. I don't think any of us would stand opposed to those things. We just don't make time for it. We struggle to prioritize it. It... it, it Sometimes it's not a part of who we are. It's not a part of our daily routine. Perhaps we could keep going and, and, and we could list more issues in the Lord's church. Your, your list might not look like my list, but can you see the point that we're making? Is the problem in Laodicea the same problem in our hearts? The same problem in our lives? 
Have you ever met someone who only likes to talk about problems? Do you know somebody who likes to talk about what's wrong, but then they never suggest anything to fix it? They never suggest any solutions? Jesus is not that way. Jesus, as He addresses the church at Laodicea, not only talks about the problem, but He also talks about the solution. So if this is something that I'm struggling with this morning, if this is something that you're struggling with this morning, if if their problem is our problem, here's the solution. Here's how we can fix this. If we're going to drive out our complacency, if we're not going to allow complacency to kill our passion for God, number one, we have to choose to come back to Jesus. We said the city of Laodicea was a very strong city when it came to industry and economy. There were really three different products that Laodicea was involved in. Gold, garments, and eye salve. Jesus looks at the church at Laodicea. Remember in 17, they're rich. They've prospered. They don't need anything. Jesus says, it's time to come back to me. He says, you've been going to all of these different places and you've been involved in all of these different industries and you're growing the city's economy and you're prospering physically. He says, now it's time to come back to me spiritually. The key words in verse 18, it's time to buy these things from me, Jesus says. Gold is not going to make them rich. Jesus is the only one who can make them rich. Garments are not going to cover their nakedness. Jesus is the only one who can cover their nakedness. Eye salve is not going to cause them to see. Jesus is the only one who can cause them to see. Jesus wants Laodicea to recognize the need that they have and to realize that He's the only one who can fulfill it. If you find yourself in a spot of complacency, are you willing to come back to Jesus? Are you willing to give up all of those different places that you're going to where you're buying and selling and prospering in life and to buy these things from Jesus? To recognize the need and to see that Jesus is the only one who can fill it. Number two, we have to accept rebuke and discipline. I don't know anybody who likes to be rebuked or disciplined. When I was a kid, I got a spanking every single day. Some of you might have already known that. You might have just guessed that by number. I got a spanking every single day and I didn't like it one time. The Hebrew writer says that discipline is not pleasant at the time. But think about it this way. Why do parents discipline their kids? It's because they love them. It's because they want what's best for them. And when they see them going in the wrong direction, their love for them causes them to do something. Can you see the heart of Jesus in verse number 19? Can you see why Jesus offers this rebuke and discipline? He says, those who I love, I rebuke and discipline. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves His church at Seven Oaks. Jesus wants what's best for His church. He wants us to be active and alive and vibrant. And in order for that to happen, sometimes rebuke has to take place. Sometimes discipline is necessary. I I hope that this message in Revelation chapter 3 doesn't make us mad. I hope it doesn't make us upset. But I hope it causes us to see the heart of Jesus. To see that Jesus loves us. He wants what's best for us. And that's the only reason He offers messages like this one. Are you willing to accept His rebuke and discipline? Number three, we have to be zealous. 
He says in verse 19, be zealous. That's what we've been talking about in this sermon series. We have to be passionate for the Lord. We need to throw out our complacency. We need to throw out our indifference. We have to be willing to let that go to replace it with zeal and passion for Jesus. Are you living that kind of life? Are you passionate about the Lord? If you're not, are you willing to let go of being comfortable, being complacent, to be who Jesus wants you to be. Number four, we have to repent. Repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change in action. If we find ourselves in a spot of complacency, that's the simple solution. That's the simple message. Jesus calls on us to repent. He calls on us to change. To change the way that we think about Him so that we'll change the way that we live for Him. Verse 20, we have to let Jesus in. Verse 20 is so beautiful and powerful. When I live in complacency and indifference towards Jesus, do you know what Jesus is doing? According to verse 20, He's knocking on the door of my heart. Whenever I'm... Just take a minute to let that sink in. When I'm complacent towards Him, when I'm living as if I don't care about Him one way or the other, here's Jesus. He's knocking on the door of my cold and hard heart wanting to come in. He pleads, if you'll just let me come in, then we'll sit down at the table together and we'll dine together. We'll share a meal with one another. He says, if you'll just let me in, then we'll have this deep, intimate, personal, passionate relationship. Are you willing to let Jesus in? If you find yourself in a spot of complacency this morning, if their problem is your problem, can you feel, can you hear Jesus knocking at the door of your heart? Are you willing to let Him in? Ultimately, number six, we have to look towards eternity. Whenever we let Jesus in, not only will He sit down and dine with us in verse 20, but we'll be able to sit down with Him in verse 21. Jesus says if we're victorious over this life, then we'll be able to sit with Him on His throne just like He was victorious and sat down with God the Father on His throne. Can you imagine how amazing that's going to be? Can you imagine what that day is going to be like where I stand before Jesus and He invites me to come up and sit with Him on His throne where He allows me to reign with Him, to share in His victory and glory and beauty for all of an eternity. You have your eyes set on that. Are you looking towards that day when we will spend an eternity with Jesus? Sitting on His throne with Him. Isn't that a pretty powerful motivation to turn away from indifference. Jesus offers us a place on His throne. It can only be ours if we're victorious. I want you to know, in many ways, this is a pretty difficult sermon to preach because it confronts me where I am. It shows me things that oftentimes don't want to look at. This text, the words of Jesus in Revelation 3, tell me, they tell Tyler, you have to do better. But it's also a very easy sermon to preach because what Jesus presents is very simple. He says, here's the problem. Here's the solution. He takes a step back 
And in verse 22, he says, are you listening? He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He steps back and asks, what are we going to do about this? Please, don't allow complacency to kill your passion for the Lord, because it will every time. Don't be cold. Don't be lukewarm. Be on fire for the Lord. Here's the problem. Here's the solution. Are you listening? Do you need to respond? If you do, here's an opportunity as we stand and as we sing.